This audio file comes from the Libri Ideas Library at www.libri-ideas-library.org. The library contains over 1,000 lectures and discussions which explore questions about the reality and relevance of Christianity. We ask you to respect the copyright for this audio file which belongs to Libri Fellowship. The file is for personal use to share with friends, family and colleagues, but please do not publish the material in any format or post it on a website without seeking permission from Libri Fellowship. Please note that views expressed in the lecture and discussion time do not necessarily represent the views of Libri Fellowship. Well, welcome to Libri. Thank you for joining us this Friday night. Um, tonight we are thinking about this theme, no professional humans, amateur spirituality, and the way of love. There are some hefty words in this title, professional, amateur, human, spirituality, love. Even that little word, way, has a lot for us to think about together. So let me begin just by giving you a little background um, on my own thinking about these words and um, kind of what has given rise to this lecture um, topic. Well, Labrie has always been a place that artists have found support and encouragement. We really... Uh, do believe that artistic work is just as important and legitimate as other types of work, that Christ truly is Lord over all of life. And sometimes we have Friday night lectures that focus on uh, creative work. Last summer, we had the joy of getting a preview listen to a new album from Ben's band, Ordinary Time. We also heard from photographer Paul Reuter about his journey with photography. And so tonight um, is really in that category. I will be sharing original creative work of my own with you and offering some reflections on it and inviting conversation and discussion in response to, to this. Around this time last year, I was invited to contribute written prayers, poem prayers, to a new volume of Every Moment Holy. Volumes one and two had been written by Doug McKelvey and illustrated by Ned Bustard. And for volume three, they wanted to compile a collaborative volume. These are books filled with liturgies, and liturgy means the work of the people, not merely the work of one person, so a collaborative volume. Um, the first volumes of Every Moment Holy were written by Doug McKelvey and illustrated by Ned Bustard, and for this third volume, they wanted to compile a collaborative volume. Um, these are books that are filled with liturgies. And 
Whether or not that is a familiar word to you depends on your church tradition or background. But liturgy quite literally means the work of the people, not just the work of one person. So in these collections of liturgies, they wanted to open that up, make it a work of the people. If you go to church on Sunday, whether or not your church is in a liturgical tradition, the order of worship, the prayers, the songs, all that goes on, that is a liturgy. And I love that um, that is the work of God's people. Well, I wrote my first liturgy. I have two in this book. Um, The first one I wrote is a liturgy for one who works the night shift. Early in our marriage, Joshua worked the night shift. Three twelves from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. for about two years. Three years. (laughs) And writing that prayer poem helped me retroactively pastor my heart through what was a very difficult season. If you've worked nights, you know how disorienting that is. And then when Doug asked what ideas I might have for a second liturgy, if there were maybe creative endeavors that I had pursued that I might write a prayer for, I told him about taking up pottery for the first time at the age of 40. And how joyful it had been to do something that I'd never done. And that was the seed of the idea for this liturgy of rededication to the way of the amateur. I wanted to write a liturgy for being new at something. But as I worked on this prayer... I discovered that what I really needed to write was a liturgy for being renewed at things that I'm old at. This liturgy is located in a section of the book called Liturgies for Vocation and Labor, and it belongs there. But if there was a section that was labeled Liturgies for Being a Human... It would fit better there. But I suppose that's that's the whole book, basically. So that's what led me to tonight's lecture title. Being an amateur, as I hope to show, is not merely a way to describe some level of competence at a skill, but it's a way to describe a whole disposition to life. And I think it's a really good way to think about the Christian life or true spirituality, as Francis Schaeffer called it. And amateur spirituality has everything to do with the way of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. So, I've asked Esther if she would read that chapter for us so that we have Paul's language in our ears afresh as we go into our evening. 
Don't worry if you can't read that. I know that's a long distance, but Esther. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. <coughs> love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. Love never fails. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As we talk about the way of the amateur, we're talking about the way of love tonight. So the other thing I just want to share by way of context is, you know, as as we speak in front of people or in writing something, sometimes we have an audience in mind. Who is this for? Who am I speaking to? Who might pray these words? Well me. (laughs) I needed to pray these words, for starters. And I think this is a prayer. This is a discussion for anyone who wants to do something they've never done and fears it might be too late. This is also for anyone struggling through burnout or a long season of the doldrums. You don't think you want to leave your life but you feel very far from the beginner's fervor and the old affection, to use phrases you'll hear tonight, that you once had, and you'd like some of that passion renewed. This is also for anyone asking, what is the Christian life about? What is a distinctly Christian spirituality? This is for anyone who feels like a beginner, a perpetual beginner. This is for anyone who feels constricted by the label professional. This is a lecture 
And I think this is a prayer for anyone who wants to locate their individual story in God's bigger story. So I hope I'm not over-promising what one lecture can do. But I just want to say that I think the conversational playing field is very big tonight. And these are all questions and feelings and struggles that I've thought about as I've worked on this lecture. So from here, we will simply hear this prayer. I will read it for us. And then we'll go back through it in four sections, considering it a bit more closely. I'll offer a few reflections. And then we'll have discussion. And though I didn't uh, set out to do this when I wrote it, as I uh, revisited it and thought about it more for tonight, the four sections really follow the story of Scripture, from creation to fall to redemption, and ends in this place of hope for restoration. So there's how we're going to locate our individual stories in God's big story through this prayer tonight. So, you have it on paper in front of you. So I'm putting up here the beginning, but I won't um, try to flip through all the slides since you have it on paper. And it is formatted so that it can be used congregationally. There are bolded words for the congregation to speak and unbolded words for a leader. I don't expect you to chime in with me tonight. Um, You're welcome to. Um, But I will read it all for us. And it's, as you see, it's not short. So settle in. Um, And... I also want to say I like I like to encourage people, especially when we're um, in in the territory of creative work. I think um, creative work sort of has a generative capacity. It sparks ideas and associations, and so uh, pay attention to where your mind goes as we read this. And there might be uh, thoughts or questions, images that um, are helpful for you to consider and maybe bring into our discussion together. A liturgy of rededication to the way of the amateur. The English word amateur evolved from the Latin word amateur, which means lover. So an amateur is one who engages in a pursuit for the love of the thing pursued. O great lover, all that you are and all that you do flows from and returns to love. You are the first amateur, the one who loved all that is into being and by love sustains it. Shape and light, motion and mountain, seas and seeds and seasons. Because you love red-tailed hawk, hammerhead shark, 
hog and hound and high sheen of beetle's wings. Because you love, man and woman wonders spoken into being by the voice that is never indifferent, summoned from love, for love, to love, to look and listen and lean with every breath into your real and present delight. It is good. It is good. It is deeply good. This is the way of the amateur, to love what you love as you love it, to make, to mend, to move for the sake of love. Oh, great lover, all that you are and all that you do flows from and returns to love. But I cannot say the same for myself. As it was for Adam and Eve, so too for me. In the fall, we failed not because we loved what you made and how you made it, but because we slivered it down to what we could make it mean to us. Identity diluted. Veneer of value. Your gifts twisted into idols. Instead of should, we heard shouldn't. Instead of you are, we heard you are not. Instead of guard this, we heard grab and eat and strive to be. We believed the lie, believe it still, and by this lie we are deceived. We say to ourselves, The way of the amateur is second best. The way of love will always be less. Better hedge your bets and hustle and hide. Oh, great lover, forgive us. Every time I take your creation not for what it is, but for what I might make it mean to me, I fall and fail again. Every time I take my purpose to be mastery, marketability, and more, always more, I fall and fail again. For this, you, O word of delight, became flesh and made your home among us. I have forgotten how to be human how to love what you love as you love it. Instead of loving, I covet and connive. Instead of speaking freely with joy of that which I love, I shrink and fall silent. This is itself a failure to love. But here is your glory And here is grace and truth that you walked the way of the amateur, that you yourself became the way. Water turned wine you loved for itself. Bread, blessed, broken, given, you loved for itself. 
See beneath your tired feet, you loved for itself. All music and children and chime, every face and form, you loved for itself. And in the light of your love, it became more itself. In this light, perfect amateur, may I come home to all that is truly human, more like you and more myself, able again to love what you love as you love it, to fear not failure, but the failure to love, to delight in the dignity of risk, Oh, what courage it takes to learn and learn anew all care and craft and skill. Help me say yes to being clumsy at first, ham-fisted, left-footed, even laughable. For this is the true prerequisite to proficiency. And no good work begins or is sustained without risk. Restore to me this childlikeness, instinctive curiosity, unwearied delight and daring, glee in liking what I like because it's likable, and heal that child in me that first heard, you're not, you can't, you'd better and thus learned to pursue only what I already knew I could do without faltering or failing. In that which I attempt for the first time, help me walk in the way of love. In that which I have done countless times, help me walk in the way of love. In that which I call a hobby, help me walk in the way of love. In that which garners me a paycheck, help me walk in the way of love. In youth, in adult years, in midlife, in old age, help me walk in the way of love. Happy always to be an amateur, forever one who loves that which I pursue. And may I find that in this love I am also pursued by you, first and greatest amateur. And when I detect in myself whiffs of indifference, drudgery, and boredom toward that which I once loved with a beginner's fervor, restore to me, great lover, my old affection, and help me trust that loving what you love as you love it is always a gift of your grace and is itself an endeavor for which I must embrace this fearsome call to be an amateur. It is good. It is good. It is deeply good. Amen. So we'll just take some time now.
going back through this prayer poem, reflecting on the themes, some of the images, the language. I'll start with the title and the epigraph, Liturgy of Rededication to the Way of the Amateur. And the epigraph, a bit of etymological information for you. The English word amateur evolved from the Latin word amateur, which means lover. So an amateur is one who engages in a pursuit for the love of the thing pursued. Note well, amateur and non-professional are not synonyms. This is very good news for amateurs and professionals alike. Garnering a paycheck or degrees or credentials or peer reviews or whatever the discipline-specific earmarks of being a pro are are not necessarily the measure and proof of one's competence or passion in an area. This is good news. This is good news for professionals. They can do that which they are paid for, for the love of it. And that's the dream, right? (laughs) The realities are more complicated. This might be something we want to hash out in discussion. I think we live in a time and in a place that puts a very high and inordinately high expectation and value on paid work being the expression and the legitimating reality for our identity and our purpose. And that is asking too much of work. So I'll just bookmark that for conversation. In the opening pages of The Supper of the Lamb, sorry, I'm going to be scooting through these. There we go. In the opening pages of The Supper of the Lamb, which is one of my favorite books, Robert Farrar Capon lays out his qualifications for writing a book on cooking. In this book, which was published in 1967, he teaches you how to prepare lamb for eight people, four times, using one leg of lamb. What are his qualifications to do this? He was an Episcopal priest and an author. He was not a restaurant owner or a culinary school grad or even a line cook down at the local diner. He says this, and I'll quote him in length. First, I am an amateur. And if that strikes you as disappointing, consider how much an error you are and how the error is entirely of your own devising. At its root lies an objection to cookbooks written by non-professionals. Amateur and non-professional are not synonyms. The world may or may not need another cookbook, but it needs all the lovers, amateurs it can get. 
It is a gorgeous old place, full of clownish graces and beautiful drolleries, and it has enough textures, tastes, and smells to keep us intrigued for more time than we have. Unfortunately, however, our response to its loveliness is not always delight. It is, far more often than it should be, boredom. And that is not only odd, it is tragic. For boredom is the fertilizing principle of unloveliness. In such a situation, the amateur, the lover, the man who thinks heedlessness a sin and boredom a heresy is just the man you need. More than that, whether you think you need him or not, he is the man who is bound by his love to speak. If he loves wisdom or the arts, so much the better for him and for all of us. But if he loves only the way meat browns or onions peel, if he delights simply in the curds of his cheese or the color of his wine, he is, by every one of those enthusiasms, commanded to speak. A silent lover is one who doesn't know his job. And don't we know what it's like to be in the presence of someone who is just waxing eloquent about something that they care a whole lot about? It's amazing. It's inspiring. It's motivating. And I think we get a little shy about geeking out on things that we love. But the world needs all the lovers it can get. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about being an amateur. The other thing about the title of uh, of the prayer, a liturgy of rededication. Rededication is meant to cue the understanding that living the way of love, living the way of the amateur, is something that requires commitment and recommitment again and again. This is not something we get sorted out and are onward and upward, but we need to recommit ourselves to the way of love. I think it's Tim Keller, or maybe it's Tim Keller quoting C.S. Lewis, um, who says that the heart is an idol-making factory. Anybody come across that? Is it Keller? Thank you. Correction. Um, John Calvin said the heart is an idol-making factory. So every time we unearth one of the idols of our heart, it is time for rededication to the way of the amateur, to redirect the loves to the one who uh, made all that is for love. Okay, Um, the first section is this section that... um, is bookended with the stanza, O great lover, all that you are and all that you do flows from and returns to love. In this section, 
were in creation. Shape and light, motion and mountain, seas and seeds and seasons, creatures and the making of humans. Love is central to God's character. God is the one who creates out of love for the purpose of loving. And this sets the biblical creation narrative apart from its contemporary ancient Near Eastern narratives. Uh, Another ancient Near Eastern creation myth describes the world being made out of the dead body of a rival vanquished god. That is an origin of violence. That is not the picture that we have in Genesis. We have a God who creates out of love. And when God created humans in his likeness, they were created from love, for love, to love, to look and listen and lean with every breath into God's real and present delight. They were made to join their voices with God's voices proclaiming it's good, it's good, it's very good. These three verbs, look, listen, lean, these are words of attention, engaged, interested attention. The senses are engaged. The posture is open and curious. Think about what your body does when you're really looking at something, when you're listening to the, a person that you really enjoy being with. You lean. You physically lean toward that thing or that person. Look and listen and lean. And there's another trio of verbs a few lines later. (coughs) This is the way of the amateur to love what you love as you love it. To make, to mend, to move for the sake of love. To love as God loves requires attention. It also involves action. Making, mending, moving. To love as God loves begins with noticing, paying attention, delighting. And in taking the time to do that, appropriate, a possible appropriate action becomes clear. Perhaps it's making something. Perhaps it's mending. Both involve a commitment of the body to action. To move also connotes a capacity to compel or inspire, as in, that song really moved me. And this pairing of loving attention and loving action points to human Dominion, this real power that God gives to people to care for the rest of creation. Loving attention and loving action. These are human callings that cannot be separated from each other. 
Um, in Beyond Identity, Dick Kies defines dominion as mastery over some bit of the world to some degree, which is so lovely. Some bit of the world to some degree. When I make my bed in the morning, which it has taken me a very long time to get in the habit of doing, I am exercising some bit of mastery over this little bit of the world to some degree. Sometimes I do a better job than others. When a child learns to walk, they are exercising dominion. The degree, to some degree, they're walking. When an Olympic runner wins a race, golly, that is mastery of a skill and of the body. To a different degree, both are dominion. Loving attention and loving action are like two walking poles for hiking the way of the amateur. Loving attention, loving action. Perhaps you're already feeling a keen awareness that you do not love what God loves as God loves it. Interest, attention, and patience are often in short supply. Gosh, I'm really glad I don't have to be a professional at being a human. Let's continue with this prayer because it moves into a section um, that reckons with the short supply of attention and interest. This next section puts us um, into kind of the turf of Genesis 3, the fall of humans. Begins with the lines, but I cannot say the same for myself, that all that I do flows from and returns to love. As it was for Adam and Eve, so too for me. There's a lot going on in this section. And in Genesis 3, there's a lot going on. We see that there are multiple voices, God's voice, humans' voices, the voice of the serpent. In the stanza, instead of should, we heard shouldn't. Instead of you are, we heard you are not. Instead of guard this, we heard grab and eat and strive to be. There's these echoes of the distortion of God's words, God's instructions, and then the way that the serpent twists those. And we see that distrusting God's loving character leads to disobedience, which leads to a distorted relationship with the rest of creation. In the fall, we failed not because we loved what you made and how you made it, but because we slivered it down 
to what we could make it mean to us. As I worked on this liturgy, it occurred to me that perhaps if Adam and Eve had trusted God's loving character, the prohibition not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have been received as a charge to guard the tree. This was the posture they should have been taking, one of guarding it. Instead, they covet. Instead of guard this, we heard grab and eat and strive to be. This is a turning away from God as the source of identity, meaning, and purpose, and a turning to God's creation, to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as the source for identity, meaning, and purpose. Here, the factory of the heart, the idol-making factory of the heart, is at work. And we see idolatry already. Capon, in Supper of the Lamb, also um, addresses idolatry. He says, things must be met for themselves. To take them only for their meaning is to convert them into gods, to make them too important, and therefore to make them unimportant altogether. Idolatry has two faults. It is not only a slur on the true God, it's also an insult to true things. So in this section of the prayer, the fall is not merely something that happened in the primeval past. It's something that is experienced daily. We believed the lie and believe it still. And every time I take... Oops, sorry. Where is it? Every time I take your creation... Not for what it is, but for what I might make it mean to me. I fall and fail again. Every time I take my purpose to be mastery, marketability, and more, always more, I fall and fail again. Note that the problem is not mastery or marketability per se, Dick vindicated the word mastery in his definition of dominion. The problem is making mastery or marketability or more, more, more to be my purpose, my goal, my aim. This is seeking ultimate value from something that can never give it to us. Think of Paul's words in 1 Timothy The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is amoral. It's a matter of love. A matter of what human affections are set upon. This is why Paul is adamant about the non-negotiable of love, as we heard Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, read by Esther. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, in Beyond Identity, Dick comments on this passage helpfully. He says, let me see if I have this. I think I do for your benefit. No matter how spectacular, gifted, or dedicated a person I might be, without love, it is all ashes at God's feet. The subtraction of love is the greatest subtraction. No matter how much else I have to do, it comes to nothing without love. It is much like multiplying by zero in mathematics. No matter how large a number we multiply by zero, the result is always the same. Zero. Why should the loss of love be so disintegrating to our identity? Because humanity is made in the image and likeness of God, and God is love. Those who do not love violate not only God's commandments, but their own identity, their own unique nature and calling. Love is not a technique or a feeling to fall in and out of, but is something rooted in the highest order of reality that there is, in the character of God himself. It is more real and more solid than the ground we stand on. It is for this that the word of delight became flesh and made his home among us. We have forgotten how to be human, how to love what God loves as he loves it. So into the center of this prayer, and it is pretty much at the halfway point, we have lines, a passage that is a meditation on Christ. Here is your glory, and here is grace and truth, that you walked the way of the amateur that you yourself became the way. In this part of the prayer, attention is turned to Christ. Interested attention. And we find one who is both trail guide and trail. You walked the way of the amateur. You yourself became the way. Christ is the one whose love makes each object of love more itself. 
In True Spirituality, Francis Schaeffer notes, the Bible's whole emphasis is that there must be no humanistic note added at any point in the accepting of the gospel. It is the infinite value of the finished work of Christ upon the cross plus nothing that is the sole basis for the removal of our guilt. When we thus come, believing God, we are declared justified, the guilt is gone, and we are returned to fellowship with God, the very thing for which we were created in the first place. And in Colossians, Paul instructs, As you received Christ, so walk in him. Return to the love of Christ, the perfect amateur. In the light of Christ's love, we come home to all that is truly human. More like Christ and more ourselves. So creation, fall, redemption... And the rest of this prayer, I want to put in this final anticipated category of restoration of all things. This final section of the prayer is something like ordinary time in the church calendar. It's the longest season of the church year, and it's marked, surprise, by lots of ordinariness. Waiting, keeping at it, trying and trying again, dedicating and rededicating ourselves to this way of love. And it takes courage. Courage to walk in the way of love. Courage for things that we try for the first time, things that we've done countless times in hobbies, in paid work, in every age and stage of life. We need help to be wholehearted. I love that the etymology of courage is about the heart. To have heart. Encourage is to put the heart back into. This final section in the prayer is really a prayer to walk in the spirit. It's a prayer for healing, which can be substantial, but it won't be complete until we, in Paul's words, see face to face. These three remain Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is a participation in and a return to the very ground of our being. A return we can only make with Christ plus nothing. And help me trust that loving what you love as you love it is always a gift of your grace and is itself an endeavor for which I must embrace this fearsome call to be an amateur. 
the way of the amateur is amateur spirituality. We must get comfortable with always being a beginner and resist the temptation to constantly be measuring our growth. There is gift and there is endeavor. To be able to love what God loves as he loves it is a gift of grace. And it is an endeavor, something that we try, something that we give our strength to, we take risk in, and we aim for. Loving attention to the gift given and loving action taken in response to God's gift. These are the hiking poles for walking the way of the amateur. It's good. It is good. It is deeply good. And that's where the prayer ends and where I will end, but open it up for conversation and discussion. As I said um, earlier, I think the playing field is big for what this um, theme touches on. I'm happy to talk together for as long as anyone wants to stay. If it's your first time here, we have open discussion, um, but you're welcome to leave at any point if you need to head out. Um, But the floor is yours. Yeah, Peter. Uh, going back to the very beginning, while I know the list of creatures is not exhaustive, <laughs> how, how did you decide upon those? And I was thinking once more the poor maligned mosquito did not make it. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> how did I decide on red tailed hawk, hammerhead shark, hog, and hound? And high sheen of beetles' wings. The the repetition of sound. <clears throat> yes, definitely sound uh, played into this. The sky, the sea, and the earth um, were in my mind as well. And um, yeah, and I have to say, Ben Kai's is a true amateur, and he's definitely talked a lot about birds. So there's the hawk. And beetles, and I—I I don't think I'll ever forget a picture of—I don't even know how many beetles. <laughs> ben has the most fun when he makes his powerpoints for lectures because uh, he gets to, you know, show all kinds of great pictures. But um, I could. <laughs> but I think it was Ben who drew my attention to the fact that beetles are one of the most numerous of God's creatures, like ver- types. 350,000 species, I think. Species of beetles. And, yeah, the high sheen of beetles' wings. 
There's these really drab beetles. That, oh, what are they called? That are green emerald ones that eat all your raspberries. <laughs> 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 there are amazing metallic beetles. But the sound, definitely the, the music of the language there, too. The alliteration, the H's, hawk, hammerhead, hog, hound, high sheen. Yes. I, I think one of my impressions of your kind of wonderful liturgy is relearning or learning for the first time the real definition of amateur. Getting your mind around something, you know, it's a, a much deeper, broader, more beautiful definition and I think the definition that I jump to when I hear amateur is of sports Mm -hmm. and thinking of the Olympics and the desire or the desire of that used to be purely amateur and then it became professionals Mm -hmm. became part of it but how we only that how we can tend to go to professional as better and the problem of that is money gets in the in the money is in between amateur and professional, mm-hmm. and how money can taint our loves because yeah it, it is so it was, it was just just yeah. to throw kind of that out I don't have necessarily a question but how yeah. money can can taint this beauty of loving for itself and. Mm-hmm. and I love how you're calling us to return to this beautiful love that doesn't involve money or success or get tainted by becoming more professional, more successful. It's not measured. It's for the delight of love. And and returning to how God wants us to experience love and delight in it. Thank you. So those are kind of my impressions. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for for summarizing it back. Yeah. For all of our benefit. And that, um, I mean, that touches on that theme. I I wanted to welcome discussion about, um, yeah, like when, (laughs) when that which we love can become our work and we get paid for it, um, I mean, that's what we're supposed to shoot for, right? Like, you should get paid for the thing that you love to do. Um, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's a bad aim. But I do think, I think I think I got really sympathetic for professionals <laughs> in, in any number of fields as I wrote this and thought about, gosh, like, that money piece or whatever it is, quotas or, you know, target objectives or whatever other stresses and pressures get added to um, the pursuit, challenge the love in a big way. And so I think, I think professionals, and maybe there are some in the room, <laughs> people who get paid to do what they love, um, would want to speak to that as well. Like, what does it look like? to experience a renewal of affection for your work 
when it's it's encumbered with other other things too. Yeah, Ben. Um, it seems to me like a part of this is just like you said. I like what you said about how like being a professional and actually getting paid for something that you do doesn't doesn't necessarily taint it. But the, the problem is when that when the thing itself becomes a, just a means to that end. Like, well, I just yeah. just doing this just for the money. There's no actual reward that's intrinsic to the thing itself. Yeah. You know, like in other words, like the, the the appropriate reward for for making pottery is the enjoyment of making pottery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That, right. Um, it's not. Yeah. It's not to make a lot of money. Mm. If you happen to sell your pottery and make money, great. But it would be very sad if if that love became just for the purpose of, of money. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's that reward is extrinsic to the thing itself. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's it may come as a result of it, but it's not it's not like the the natural fulfillment of that. You know what I mean? Like Jesus mm-hmm. says something like that. <laughs> Must be okay. <laughs> um, but I love. But to me, the word amateur even it really needs to be renovated because to to me, like when I hear the word amateur, it usually means you're just bad at it. Like that's amateur. an amateur move. Wow, what an amateur move! That means I, mm-hmm. I suck at something. <laughs> you know, like why yeah. I, And that's that is. Yeah. Talk about a twisting of something. You know, you can be the you can be the best thing, person at, in the world at something and still be an amateur if you're mm-hmm. doing it because you love it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, but it, I think in many people's minds, it's contrasted with a pro. A pro is good at it. An amateur is bad at it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So they they they're just doing it. They're just doing it for the love uh, because <laughs> they're terrible. Right. That's, that's right. just right. Totally untrue. Right. Yeah. Anyway. That, that's everybody's homework, is to go forth and use amateur in positive ways in your conversations. Compliment the amateurs in your life. Yes, that, Elliot. Just along those lines, I find it a bit of a struggle to see amateur in this light. I mean, you're, you're so used to talking about amateur as to deprecate something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I I, um, I think back to when rugby in England at the national level was always an amateur sport because the, all the, the players on the national team worked. They had regular jobs. And, it, and there was, this, there was a, a glory to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I hope it's a struggle to think about it in this light a little bit. Like, I, I think there should be some dissonance for us. I think any renovating of a, of a meaning of a word is going to involve that. I'm like, how does it feel to think about God as the greatest amateur? Like, what does that do for your image of God? Does that give you anything positive to work with? Anything new? Mary Frances. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this idea of, like, 
being an amateur, but then this idea of professionalism and connecting money to it. Um, one of the things that I thought about when you were talking, of course, is like the drama mom's beauty is play. I was thinking about play um, and this idea, to me, engaging in something just for the love of it is a form of play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking about, and you and I have talked about this before, but I'm thinking about the current climate of, uh, there's kind of a pattern where, say, people have something, a hobby, or something that they're dabbling in, that they're learning, and they're, you know, for you it could be pottery, or it could be something else, and, and the, the response, I think this is often more for women than for men, but the response can be like, you should create an Etsy shop. <laughs> have you thought about, like, having a side hustle? Um, and so there can be, and I mean, you know, I could talk for the next two hours about how that's connected to what women get paid and how we think about women's work, which I'm not going to do tonight. But so there is something tied to that as far as yeah. how we how we value and monetize women's work and what that what counts for that. But I do think there's something here that it can even be challenging in the climate to sort of be an be an amateur, amateur at something, and and just let that be. Right? There's 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 actually such a push to professionalize something mm-hmm. or to monetize something. Um, and even and this is what you and I talked about, right? Of like even that it's called a side hustle. Decided that now hustle comes along with it. It's no longer something you. I mean, maybe you still love it, but it's no longer just something that you engage in for the love of it or, right, the enjoyment or the beauty or whatever, there's there's hustle behind it and then there's expectation and sort of capitalistic markers that go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. Megan, do you want to jump in on that too? Um, or? Uh, mine's actually more related to something Ben was saying. Yeah, um, yeah, go for it. And what you were saying about, like, it's not always just money, but there's other expectations that can come into what you're doing as well, but... Uh, my brain went this direction when Ben said making pottery just for the love of making it and I was kind of thinking about like the trope that most of the time art is suffering right? Mm-hmm. and it is the end result that you enjoy and I was just thinking about like sometimes there's a I think a positive love based outcome that isn't like oh I can sell this thing but more so I can share this thing that I love with other people who will also love it and get enjoyment out of it and I, I think even if it really sucks and is painful while you're doing it there's a way to like struggle through and then still have love for your for whatever you've done and love to share when it's over and that also kind of had me thinking about like creation and then like the day of rest afterwards and you know, like once create, like once, once God was done creating, there was then all of this great stuff for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My mind is floating. Lydia, you had your hand. Did you want to jump oh, in? Oh yeah, I was kind of going off on the professional versus amateur yeah. and thinking more, and just thinking. I've always had a pet theory that. Um, even if you love something, it becomes your professional thing and you're forced to do it for 40 plus hours a week, you're going to lose the love a little bit. And I was thinking about this in related 
of being amateur versus professional. I'm just thinking there's a nature of being amateur in how we're describing this. And just It's very selfless focus where you just become so entranced with the thing that you love. Like you just, you're just focused on that. You forget about yourself. You're focused on being in love and you just want to be involved in it when you tell other people about it. Like you just forget yourself. While the professional nature of doing things in the world, again, just the nature of the limited world, it, it forces you actually to become focused on yourself again because you have to, like, profession is tied to keeping food on the table, keeping the roof over your head. Like, it kind of pulls the focus back to your needs and to you. When one of the beauties of love is getting lost in something mm-hmm. outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And now you're just like, here's God's world, or here's God's people who are wonderful, and I just forget all about me, as opposed to being pulled in to seeing oh, yes, look how limited I am, and I can't achieve the career that I want, or I can't achieve, as, again, as much money as that I want to get a house that I want, or something like that. Like, you're mm-hmm. kind of, the nature of professionalism right now just forces you in a little bit, even mm-hmm. with the thing that you love the most. Like, it's going to pull you back into yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this quite dovetails with what you said but one of the things that I'm thinking about is that um, I think to be new at something is to take the posture of being a learner. And so that has all the openness and none of the expectation you know, <laughs> there. The wind under your wings, you get to learn, and nobody expects you to be good at it yet. Um, and so I do wonder, for those who are you know, wanting that kind of renewal in whatever they're a pro at, like there still needs to be that kind of, that's why risk finds its way into this prayer too. Like you have to keep taking creative risks in whatever it is because that's where there's a learning curve. Um, and I think that's where, um, yeah, there's something in us that, that does rise to, um, not just the challenge of that, but the, um, yeah, the excitement of doing something new, even in what we have done for years and years and years, maybe. Um, I don't know. Do others have experience of that in your own work lives or hobbies? I'm thinking of my dad, who is a furniture maker, and he has been a small business owner for 40 years. And I, I mean, I have no idea how many tables he's made, how many you know, beds, all sorts of stuff. And I know there have been long seasons of going through the motions. <laughs> I just have to keep showing up. But then there's these times where, you know, there's a new, some kind of new design element that he gets accepted. I got these old shutters from a yard sale and I'm turning them into a piece of furniture or, you know, something like that. And I wonder how those kinds of, those kinds of things find their way into any number of, of fields and professions. Yes. What's your name? Leah. Leah. Hi. also makes it seem like 
don't invest time into it, like it's a either short lived or like not lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can, yeah, when you feel like, oh, I'm just an amateur, kind of like, yeah, kind of put down with that, but also feel like there shouldn't be any investment of your time. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, it's that thing if there's a if there's anything left over, mm-hmm. you can put time toward that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, I have found that it's like it's it's the things whether it's a a hobby or yeah, whatever I'm the thing I'm an amateur at that I'm not getting a paycheck for. Often when I when I give that at least a little bit of priority, it literally energizes me. Physical, mm-hmm. it gives me physical energy for all sorts of other necessary things. But we don't operate that way. <laughs> we definitely do the sort of like work for your fun time, um, back to play, you know, but like what if play had a place in adult life? You have to have seasons. Seasons of the day. Yeah. Breaks. Yeah. What does that look like for you? Or what? how do you imagine that for, uh, I don't know. Puzzles. Puzzles. <laughs> Maps. <laughs> you know, we, we got a piano for our daughter last year um, so she could start learning and I took piano lessons as a kid for several years and I have not played in years I now say I don't play piano but it's been really fun in part because of preparing for this lecture like well maybe I better put my money where my mouth is and (laughs) sit down and give this a little bit of time each day and it's not a lot of time. It's like five minutes. But it's really fun to have a fresh challenge, a renewing challenge. That, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes, it is. Yeah. It, it, it does give you a lift. Yeah. And actually, you know, just five minutes doing the puzzle. Yeah. And then you get back. Yeah. Yeah. To the list. Yeah. Nikayla. I think there has to be a willingness to waste. <laughs> um, yeah. That feels so just like almost offensive. Like, I don't want to waste my time, my supplies, my money. And it's like, you have to actually just be willing to waste. Make some garbage. <laughs> and like, and try. Like, maybe yeah. it's awful. Maybe you just throw it away. But it's still like the the act of that is still valuable. Yeah. And just not use even monetary language of investment because I think the when we inv- the idea of investing there's already uh-huh. so much economy in that word. Yeah. That you have to just like 
You're like, I, I'm willing to waste this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of that, um, you use the term dignity of risk. I've never put those two words together before. So I'm just curious, you know, how you came up with that. And it sounds like it ties in with what Nikayla was saying. Nikayla should comment on that. Because, you know, poets are magpies. And that was a phrase that was gathered up in conversation with Nikayla. I was like, I was trying to remember where you first, if you just coined that, or if uh, no. Okay. Spiritual direction with Louise Walker. Yeah. 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 So I I loved that phrase to delight in the dignity of risk. Um, yeah, those aren't words that we would normally put together, but boy, what happens when you do think about that to take a risk is actually to to give yourself, to trust yourself. Actually, that's a very dignifying thing. Yeah, Ben. To me, I was, I was uh, going to mention that if Meg, Meg hadn't mentioned it. The dignity of risk is so awesome to me because I think, to me, if, if you don't... It seems like in the, in the in the place in the poem where you're talking about it, the, the alternative is to not risk because of fear, mm-hmm. and only like you say that only do the things you've done a million times before, and you know you'll be you know. Yeah. But but the the idea of having, the dignity of risk means that my my identity is not found in the outcome of this thing, mm-hmm. and so it, it it means your identity is actually in something of much more dignity. Than the mm-hmm. outcome of this thing, in, in, which makes you secure. Like I, I am mm-hmm. secure in the dignity of belonging to Christ, mm-hmm. and knowing that I can mess up in any number of ways mm-hmm. and still be accept, accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and my status isn't revoked or something like that as a child yeah. of God. So, like that, actually, it's all about dignity. Mm-hmm. It's like really firmly grounded in the dignity of, of who I am as a child of God, mm-hmm. which then. It, it's like this empowering thing. Like, I can go out and do something and totally make a mess of it. <laughs> yeah. And, like, nothing changes in terms mm-hmm. of my my value, my status. Mm-hmm. So that, I love that, the dignity mm-hmm. of risk. They, they, like, the more you think about it, the more appropriate mm-hmm. those two words are together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for uh, articulating that so well. I think that's... Um, I think that's really at, at the heart of this prayer is to, to disentangle our identity as children of God from everything else it gets tangled up in and, and to, to be able to then do all that we do in the world from this place of freedom. Um, because we don't have to work for the grade. Like the grade has been given. Hey. <laughs> you get an A. <laughs> like, go. Um, what freedom. That's the way of the amateur, <laughs> the way of the lover. And I think, you know, I like the word amateur because it, it, in a playful way, I think it says, like, you, you, get, you get to do all that. Risky, wasteful. <laughs> and lo and behold, it's not wasted. And... The risk often pays off. Pays off. Economic language again. <laughs> no. Um, 
going to think bears different fruit. language. It bears fruit. Thank you. <laughs> Biblical language. <laughs> yes. Um, so, just another way to look at this. Um, your use of amateur traits limited on um, a pejorative sense of professional. But the word profession goes back to calling. And so we talk about um, ministers, doctors, um, lawyers, and so forth as people who have a calling, and those, what we call a profession, are, they're not dealing with things, they're dealing with people, they're, they're actually yeah. providing a service to people in, in special circumstances. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want to talk about, you know, a person might be an amateur physician or an amateur surgeon. Mm. <laughs> we would think a little bit differently. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe I'm just sensitive. No, I, I, no, I don't. I, yeah, no, thank you. And I think um, I hadn't looked at what the etymology for professional was either. I mean, even even that. For those of you who are professionals, like. To be one who is professing something, that's quite a different emphasis than our common usage of professional. So, just get words are so wonderful. Someone else can do that lecture. <laughs> professional. Yes, Peter. Uh, building on that, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that the, the complicated person, Paul, who by profession, or at least by trade, and we may want to distinguish those two things, Mm -hmm. was a tent maker. Yeah. But we don't really know, you know, what what to do. Was he good at this? We don't know. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, know, I'll try this again. Uh, But but his amateurishness, and I, I don't even want to know, I don't know if I really want to say that Paul was an amateur in the direction of theology because apparently he was a student of Gamaliel and uh, a Pharisee so he had uh, he had something going on there Mm -hmm. uh, of great intensity and focus Mm -hmm. and not just sort of a whimsical well you know let's just see what happens Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. this and I, I don't know if you if, if, if you considered that. And also, just kind of very briefly aside, when you say uh, to love what you love as you love it, mm-hmm. are you familiar with the universal prayer by attributed maybe to Clement X? No, do you know it by heart? Well, no, but, but there is a section that says uh, to do what you ask in the way, in the way that you ask, hmm. as long as you ask, hmm. because you ask it. Hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's uh, when I saw what you wrote hmm. yeah, there's echoes of that mm-hmm. universal prayer there yeah, yeah. thank you Clement I, the tenth, I mean it's maybe? attributed universal think, prayer to, to Clement mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. yes yeah uh, for, for me like I always wanted to be a journalist and like I perceived that and I I think of it as a creative outlet and stuff. But I'm frustrated because I don't make quite enough money. But it's funny for me, 
in the sense of amateurness, I, I, that's not even a word, but amateurness. But in, in terms of that, like I like to just do things that like someone in a trade would do. Like my washing machine broke. And it, all it was was like the lid lock switch and I'm pulling the whole machine apart and like, like doing all this stuff and that's not necessarily like a creative thing but it's, it's doing something that you're not used to so yeah. it's funny how people have to balance their lives like my, my job and profession might be a little more creative but I kind of have to find an amateur outlet and more like mundane things you know so yeah. it's it's your, your outlet to find things to do uh, is really endless. I mean, I, honestly, it, it was like a sense of pride. Like, I fixed that thing in the machine. Probably would have cost like hundreds of dollars to get it fixed. Yeah. Elliot's given some helpful and gentle pushback. Uh, you all are welcome to push back. Nobody has to be like, man, I love thinking of myself as an amateur. You know, if, uh, if this is a offensive to you, you you can speak up. Or if there are other edges to that that you think need some challenge, I'm yeah, Melissa. I'm going to take the opposite. I love the idea of being an amateur because I do not have a profession. I do not work outside of the home. And so I, it's almost, it's difficult for me to be in groups where everybody is working and having professions and pursuing and getting paid. Mm-hmm. That whole category. Yeah. It's difficult for me. Yeah. So this, pursuit for the love of the thing pursued, mm-hmm. that's what I do mm-hmm. every day because I don't have a Mm-hmm. I'm an amateur. So this is actually really, and I don't know if there's such a thing as a professional amateur. <laughs> yes! We have done it! <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that, that is actually um, uplifting mm-hmm. to think that you don't have to pursue these things called professions. To yeah. be valuable, to be mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. We're created in God's image, and if God is an amateur and I'm created in that image, mm-hmm. I say yes. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I, thought I like this new mm-hmm. way of thinking of amateur mm-hmm. and pursuing other mm-hmm. and areas that. Mm-hmm. People may not understand what I do with my time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's making, with each passing year and day, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you can cook as an amateur because you love to cook mm-hmm. and you love to please. And I've even mm-hmm. found that there are people who actually are amateur cleaners. They actually that's a that's a growing edge for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, those who uh, come and stay at Labrie spend half of their day working, and we're always excited when there are people who are like, 
I love organizing things. <laughs> Great! We have so many things. This closet you can organize. <laughs> Joshua. Uh, just to sort of uh, uh, random thoughts from things that like said, uh, others have said, but yeah, that uh, the way that um, if something's amateur, it doesn't seem to sometimes carry value and so, because so many things that have value for us, it's, mon- it's monetary value. Mm-hmm. Thinking, and I was just struck a few years ago, there was a guy running uh, for a Democratic candidate um, who was pretty kooky uh, in a lot of ways, but his wife was stayed at home and took care of the two kids that were autistic. Mm-hmm. And he made this point in debate where he said, um, by the way we measure value, the things that like matter in our, our country is mostly like GDP and sort of production and all these like big numbers and he's like according to that like what she does doesn't contribute like it doesn't matter because she's not a professional and he's like I, I don't want to live in that I don't want to perpetuate those sort of it's just interesting to hear yeah. <laughs> someone that sort of it's been rattled in the back of my head uh, for a few years about someone wanting to make a culture where, where amateurs uh, people who do things for love uh, in, a, in a very sacrificial way, because this woman had left a career to take care of mm-hmm. children full time, where amateurs are, are honored and, and seen as contributing, and maybe even find ways to sort of uh, make those those paths um, more livable for people. And then the, that was just, so that's just a mm-hmm. random thought um, mm-hmm. that just in my head when we talk about this. The other is just <coughs> one. And I like I like professionals because I'm also not very, I'm not a professional, uh, and but I I think um, just thinking about the the growing awareness of of mental health and people looking for and as someone who's, who's taking steps towards becoming certified or, or studying counseling like people that are pursuing professionals for mental health things. I think it's great, but it also speaks to just, like, people aren't talking to their friends anymore, and they're not talking to their their parents or whoever the elders are in their community, or their pastors, they're looking for professionals uh, who can, and I'm not against professionals (laughs) in that way, but I think it just speaks to there's there's the, yeah, I think people live in, and maybe this is me just thinking back to some golden age that never actually existed but, but a time or, or, or a way where there were rich people had richer relational networks uh, to people that had resources and, and loved them and could care for them and could listen and could mm-hmm. help them navigate difficulty and so as wonderful and as pro I am uh, that we're as a as culture becoming more aware of mental health categories and stuff and working to help people integrate, live an integrated life, I do think underneath it, <laughs> it speaks to, like, people want professionals for this. They want someone to give them a diagnosis and, you know, five, five steps or, or give them someone to blame, potentially. Even, and, I mean, who knows all that people want, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. They, I just, this idea of, of human connection that is so pervasive in this, in this prayer, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just something that I think is in our move towards professionals in a way, like distrusting people who aren't 
professionals and not, not valuing the, their perception. When, I mean, a lot of people who've lived a really long time have a lot of wisdom. It might not be clinical uh, and professional, but mm-hmm. it's very, you know, pastoral and mm-hmm. it's personal and it's learning the hard way. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of, of riches that. Anyway, I'm just sort of rambling. These are just two. Those were two things that just came to mind as, throughout this conversation. So. I think some of it connects with um, the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're summoned from love for love to love to look and listen and lean. Mm-hmm. Lean in. Like, we feel like we have to pay someone to lean in with us. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't expect that someone can take the time to give me <laughs> attention, um, to really listen mm-hmm. to me. Uh, this is, I mean, and this I think I want to say, we need to realize that God is leaning in. Like, for starters, God is leaning in with every one of us. And that's the image that he's made us in, to be people who lean in with others. And just just thinking about, sorry, you saying that, mm-hmm. think of the start of, a, of one particular kid's Bible, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, it speaks about... Uh, at creation, the first thing, you know, humans saw was God's, God's face, you know, and like, they looked like him because they're made in his image, you know, and it, there's yeah. that line, um, uh, and, or, or do you, what, what's the line exactly? I don't know, I don't remember precisely. You look like me. Well, you look like me, but it's also, no, <laughs> yeah. no, it's like they were, he loved them because they were lovable, or, or what's the line? They were it, lovely. They were lovely. They they were lovely because he loved them. Yeah. Oh, I need to. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really good. Thank you. It's really good. It's, yeah, John Calvin from C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm gonna make a comment, and I love your comment about professional amateurs. I've kind of been thinking about it for a while. There's that concept is, is fabulous. I mean, you think about the you think about non-profits in, in America. And you think about the millions of hours and billions of dollars of donated time and money that is not paid out, and and how valuable that is. And, and I've been fortunate to be involved in, in a number of these things. It's so valuable. You know, I think the value that I provided and uh, so many others provide where they are donating their time, effectively they're professional amateurs, which is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think there's absolute value in messing stuff up and having fun. But there's absolutely what you're doing in the home, whether it's incredibly skilled people who are donating, donating their time to make non-profits flourish and benefit society at large. It's, it's got tremendous value, and then if you take it a little bit further into things like sports, which is something professional. You look, you look at the U.S. amateur golf tournament; these are unbelievable golfers. So just because you're an amateur does not mean you're not. Yeah. I think people like me are truly terrible, but, but <laughs> I, I think I love that concept. I mean, I, to me, the concept of professional amateur. Tremendous value, and I kept coming back to mm-hmm. all the 
And I've lived been in the world, and in the U.S., the culture we have here of, of philanthropy, mm-hmm. of not only our resources, but our time, and both in many cases, it's pretty unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys live, we, we, I lived in, in, in the U.K. for a while, I lived in Russia for quite a while, and I'll never forget living in Russia in the 90s when a number of us were involved in a non-for-profit. We created a non-for-profit for people with Down syndrome. Um, and I was involved with a colleague of mine, an Australian, who worked for a very, very, very wealthy Russian man. And we kept sort of sending him these letters, polite, Western, very American letters, politely asking for money for this cause as we all do, it's something we all are very aware of, how you do it. And finally one day, he grabbed us, and in a very Russian way, he basically said, what do you guys want? What are you doing? You're sending me these letters, like, we want your money. Why don't you just tell us that? such <laughs> a... You know, in, in the UK, it's not it's like, what did you tell, how much do you want? You gave him a number, he's like, fine. <laughs> but it's such an ingrained thing, the whole concept of like a tax deduction, they didn't have that. But the US culture of giving philanthropy is, it's beginning to spread a bit around the world, but it's, it's really pretty unique here. Uh, and Actually, the Muslims took it up. Yeah. They took it up in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Because they saw that hmm. the schools, the hospitals, yeah. these were good. Yeah, it's not so a little much of uh, in Europe and mm-hmm. Russia. Mm-hmm. It's, it's but but it is incredible in America. Yeah. 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 I found <clears throat> the section Joshua was referring to. It's um, yeah, the creation of Adam and Eve. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Michaela. I was disconnected in my brain, so it might be a second. The idea of you have to like before you love. and I think about Dick, uh, when Ben's grandma died, we went through all of Lucy's things and we found a telegram, a telegram <laughs> from Harvard to Yale. Um, they were waiting for Grace to be posted so Dick could race. And Dick's, it was Dick's dad. Dick's, it's short. Um, and Grace hadn't been posted and he couldn't, he couldn't race until <laughs> Grace were posted. And he got a gentleman's seat. <laughs> and that is what it was called. Wow. Um, like, good enough. <laughs> and he, 
and it was totally acceptable. You couldn't, you couldn't race if you failed your class. You couldn't, yeah. Like you had to be. You had to have a gentleman seat. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> 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 but like enough in order to love something. Like he liked it enough. Mm-hmm. He loved growing. But and then he passed his history class. Gentleman <laughs> seats. I think I should, there should be a return. A different term. Yeah. But it's like, like it's good enough. Mm -hmm. And I just think, like, there has to be good enough in order to love. Like, there's the permission to just be okay, enough of something. So you don't have to just love everything. Mm -hmm. I just think that even the love component, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be just like meh at something and then, like, love other things. I don't know. These are just like, yeah. But I do like the gentleman see. <laughs> like permission. Mm-hmm. To be okay at something. Mm-hmm. Which we're not given permission to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, yeah, since you mentioned that, um, the, where is it? It's the section. Yeah, what courage it takes to learn and learn anew all care and craft and skill. Help me say yes to being clumsy at first, ham-fisted, left-footed, even laughable, for this is the true prerequisite to proficiency, and no good work begins or is sustained without risk. Yeah, I wanted to point to that as you say this, because I think that emphasis on excellence, while good, is often, it often inhibits us from learning. (laughs) We feel that we have to be excellent and we don't give ourselves any margin to not be excellent yet, to be be moving toward that. Um, So for those of you who are educators, I think that's a helpful reminder. (laughs) The emphasis maybe in our classrooms needs to be on courage more than on excellence. Um, and excellence will come. But, yeah. When I read that, or yeah, when that stanza was read, it reminded me more of like the risk and like pursuit of new relationships. It's kind of season my own life. Um, but yeah, like if you've never been in a dating relationship, or you've never gotten married, or even if you've never been a parent, or a grandparent, or wherever you are like, in relationships specifically, um, you kind of have to be willing to be an amateur. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> you've never done it. Like, yes. You've never been an adult. You've been an adult if you've been a child your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've never, yeah. like, there's so many things in life stages that you're going to have to be clumsy at, and be, yeah. like, it will go better if you're willing to be
anxious and expectation heavy like way of living and you just can't you can't love and you can't be an amateur and be a learner in that position because you're always looking down. Mm-hmm. Thank you for for kind of making the leap into relational the relational realm because I think that's yeah, I mean when I say this this belongs under vocation and labor, but really it belongs under being human in the world. Like, yes, how do we let ourselves? It's been helpful to me to tell my 13-year-old son, I've never parented a 13-year-old boy before. <laughs> I'm, I'm new at this too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is, uh, there's something I was thinking about the first time, yeah, when you were going through the section on... Um, the way that we twisted God's or the serpent twisted God's words and um, we heard other things than besides what he meant and we did the opposite. Um, it reminded me of something that always says that Satan never creates, he, ne- he never generates newness, he only twists and distorts what God has done. Yeah. And so, and just like, Kind of extrapolating on that of like, so we're made in God's image, so we're made to create. But when we believe the lie, it, we can't create. We can't risk. We can't, yeah. So I think that kind of goes into it too of like the the opposite of what God has said through the lies of the devil. Mm-hmm. It, it makes it impossible to go in the direction of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Barbara. That's exactly, I've been thinking in fragments the whole time, and you're saying what <laughs> my fragments are trying to say. And that is when you said, someone said, what stops you from taking a risk um, to be creative or to be an amateur? Someone said fear, but I also think it's pride, and I think it's stopping us from being like our Father, mm-hmm. our Heavenly Father. And the father of lies is the one who says, don't do it. Just stay dull. Mm-hmm. Don't be like mm-hmm. the heavenly father. You know? mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. look like him. Yeah. Don't do what he does. Thank you. It's funny looking because he's like a pretty funny looking animal. Yeah, Ben. A question having to do with the relational side of it, because so much of what we've been talking about is like an endeavor, a a, uh, a craft, a hobby, some something you've never done. But but uh, but you know, in, in particular, you know, maybe these people that aren't professionals, they don't go off to work and get paid for something, but they're maybe raising kids at home mm-hmm. and. Is, is there a difference between, it seems like there's another layer of complexity there, because it's like you you love your kids, they're another subject, they're another person, mm-hmm. uh, do you always love the act of caring for your kids? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the craft that you love, it's a person, Bye. right? <laughs> right. Bye, um, thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that... That to me is like it's just it's sort of a different category. Like you, it's, it reminds me. This whole time I've been thinking of the 
Can I jump in? Please. Yeah, you know. uh, (laughs) So, I mean, what I want to pick up on is, yeah, we know we love our kids. Sometimes we love caring for them. We would like to love caring for them. Sometimes we definitely don't love caring for them. Uh, So, one of the things that I came across was, again, in Beyond Identity, uh, Dick talked about New Testament love is defined by this circle of feeling, commitment, and action. And no one of those is more important than the other. No one of those is like, well, this is really love. Like, these three together, feeling, commitment, and action. And that was really helpful, like, as I started to think about that, because... Um, it both it both validates feelings of discontent when you're like, well, in a marriage, like I know I love this person, but I don't feel it right now. But the commitment, and I'm going to do things, I'm going to take action that shows love, yeah. and trust that the feeling is going to get. It's going to get back. It's going to come back. Um, so I think I think parenting is in that category. All sorts of anything that requires longevity uh, is going to. It, it needs a deep well of the relatedness of these dynamics of love. Other thing that I found helpful was Dick said, um, especially when you think about the command to love your enemies. Where there, where there is like no feeling there, there's no feeling of love for enemies. Um, it was a hard thing to commit to. So you begin in action, um, where, where there's no other way in. You start by doing, doing a thing that is loving. So, for what it's worth, feeling, commitment, action mm-hmm. together. Um, they need each other, and they are um, love. I think we'll end there. I want to thank you for the robust conversation. Um, there are copies of um, Every Moment Holy for sale. You can definitely buy it cheaper on Amazon. <laughs> Um, but if you buy it from me, I get a little bit of money. So. <laughs> um, and it's sort of an, just an honor system out there. I have Venmo cash check. So thank you all. Good night.